Good morning. Before we, uh, before we get started, you'll notice that we are in a new sermon series today. We're going to be starting the book of Ruth. It's going to take us uh, between four and six weeks to go through this uh, really small book of the Bible. Uh, but before we get started in that, I need to apologize. Um, some of you here this morning, uh, some of you were not. Uh, I lost my temper this morning with a member of the congregation. I'm not going to get into details. I'm not going to do anything like that. Uh, but I said some unkind words to that member of our congregation. Um, one of the things that I, I'm always trying to be honest with is that I'm human and I make mistakes. Uh, and sometimes I lose my temper. Uh, I know... I know many of you are like, really? This guy, he's so calm and so nice. I know, right? It's amazing. But I think it's really important that when you make a mistake, you own up for it and you apologize for it. I know I've been preaching uh, a, a, a long time now, and I, I, I've not changed my position that I believe that all sin can be forgiven, but that doesn't mean that I'm free from the consequences of my actions. I'm forgiven for my sin, but there are still going to be consequences for my actions. So I just wanted to apologize to the, the person. Again, not going to get into details. You don't need to know. That's between me and them. But from the bottom of my heart, I am sorry. For those that were here for that uh, particular moment, I apologize to you as well because this is a place where we want to uh, have everyone come and be free to be who they are, to worship how they want to worship, and to engage with their Savior. And so, uh, again, I'm sorry. With that being said, if we can go into Ruth, uh, that would be my preference. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Ruth. We're going to be starting in chapter 1, verse 1. Ruth 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So the, it sets the scene for us, what's happening. So there's a couple of things that you, you need to know. The first thing is we need to sort of get this historical timeline. Uh, we've been given a little bit of uh, context that says in the time of the judges. Now that time uh, was a long period in the history of Israel. It was a dark period in the history of Israel. And in fact, if you were to, to switch back just one book to the closing of the end of Judges, you would find this as the last sort of, uh, this is the last sentence in the book of Judges before you hit the book of Ruth. It says this, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The, the situation is eerily familiar, is that there is no single God that everyone worships, everyone prays to, everyone obeys, and the country is just doing its own thing. It's getting its morality from itself, it's getting its ethics from itself, uh, and I'm not sure if you, you've noticed this or not, when humans make up their own morality and ethics, things go badly. Like, I'm not sure if you've paid attention to world history up until this point, but when humans decide that they're going to start doing this by themselves uh, without the, the presence of God in their lives, without God shaping their morality, we make really dumb mistakes. We, re we really do. Uh, this country is no different. However, this country isn't alone. We've been making those mistakes way back until the Garden of Eden. And so what's happened here in the, in the nation of Israel <coughs> is that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It is one of the darkest periods in all of history of God's people. Uh, if you look through the book, uh, through the Old Testament rather, if you walk through the historical stories of the Old Testament, you will find that this is one of those dark periods 
series where things are happening, uh, people are getting killed. Um, it, it's not a fun time to be an Israelite. And in, in that context, that we find out that there was this man uh, who had a family and he decided he was going to move from Bethlehem to Moab. The name of this man was Emelelech. Now, I have to apologize to Judith about the names. I'm going to give you, give you uh, Hebrew 101. If you can't pronounce the names, just pretend like you know what you're doing. Just blast right through them. It's what I do, and, and only half of you ever notice it. So, Eli Melech. Now, it, it's interesting, and, and you'll find that in the book of Ruth, names actually mean something. Ruth is a very interesting book. Uh, historically, we don't know who wrote the book of Ruth, even though it bears the name of its main character. Uh, Ruth didn't write Ruth, um, from what we can tell. The time period, for example, is wrong. There is a, a, a genealogy in Ruth which goes all the way to David, who was king of Israel. So we know that it was post-David that this book was written. So it wasn't written by Ruth. There are a couple of uh, ideas, and the two main ideas is this book was either written by the prophet Samuel or it was written by Solomon. Uh, what I need to tell you is it doesn't matter who the author of this book is. What matters is the story that is found in it. Uh, it's... I called it a little love story. I mean, it, it's a romantic little love story. There's no, uh, if, if you were to compare and contrast this to the story of Esther, which we've just spent the last uh, 10 weeks going through, uh, it's not in any way similar to Esther. Um, it's uh, between those two books are the only books of the Bible that were named after the female characters, Esther and Ruth. But these two books are very, very different. Uh, and so Ruth, uh, in, in the book of Ruth, names are incredibly important. The name Eli Melech means the go that God is my king. And what's he doing in the very first opening book, uh, opening verses of, of this story? He's saying, you know what? I am not going to trust my God. In fact, I'm going to move out and I'm going to move to Moab. I'm going to move away from the land of my people and I'm going to go into a foreign land that worships foreign idols. And so even though his name means God is my king, he's deciding that he's going to be king over his own life. And what you'll find is that names in this book of Ruth actually have an incredible amount of importance. The name of his wife uh, is Naomi, which means sweet. Take one drink, that'll come up later. Her name is sweet. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilon. Now, one of the names uh, means dead, and the other means something like not showing up often. Something's going to happen in the next couple of verses to these two boys. One's going to be dead and the other's not going to show up very often. Names are important in this, in this particular thing. Uh, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judea. Bethlehem means house of bread. Okay? Uh, they went into the country of Moab and remained there. They're fleeing a famine in the house of bread. Okay, some of you aren't laughing. Some of you aren't finding the irony here. Let me explain it again. They live in a place whose name means house of bread. And there's no bread in the house. And so the man who says, whose name says, God is my king, says, God isn't taking care of me because in the house of bread, there is no bread. And so I am going to usurp God's authority and move out. Are you seeing the irony now? It gets worse. His two sons, I'm going to move. I'm, my name is uh, God is my king. I'm going to ignore him. I'm going to move out and go to Moab, and I'm going to bring my two sons with me because I don't want them to die. And what happens over here in the next couple of verses? They die. All right, you're seeing the irony. This is 
I'm, I'm sitting at my computer, I'm, I'm, I'm doing reading commentaries, I'm reading word studies, and I'm sitting there giggling to myself, hoping that you would find this amusing as much as I do. If you don't, that's okay. You still have to sit here and listen to me. All right? This is funny, guys. This later. You've got to set the backstory first. But Elmelech was the husband of Naomi, who means sweet, we'll get to that, uh, of Naomi, and he died. And she was left with her two sons. So he thinks, uh, I'm going to move to Moab to escape death. I'm going to bring my sons with me and my family uh, with me. Uh, people are starving to death, they, but they're from the house of bread, so they're moving. It's all good. So his two sons took Moabite wives. The name of one was Oprah, or Oprah, <laughs> and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there for about 10 years. And both Malon and Chilon died so that the women were left without her two sons and her husbands. And so what we've seen here is very simply, he moved so that his family would not die. He moved so that his sons would not die. And he moved from where the grace of God was protecting the Israelites to a foreign land where God had explicitly told them not to go, not to sojourn, not to settle down, don't go there, it's filled with bad people, it's filled with idolaters, it's filled with nasty, godless people, don't go there, and he thinks that instead of God as my king, I'm going to be my own king, make my own decisions, and I'm going to go and do my own thing, and the result of that is that even though they went to a land uh, that had a plenty amount of resources, they still died. And then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So uh, what Naomi hears is back where they had originally lived, where the Lord was taking care of them, there was the famine in the land, they moved to Moab. Now that they're living in Moab and everyone's died, she hears that back in the house of bread, there is once again bread. And so she decides, well, you know what? Life was pretty good back when there was bread and we could actually eat, so let's move back. And so she gets up and she, uh, you know, she arises and goes back and starts traveling. And, she, and it says this in verse 7. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to your mother's house. That's not a good sign. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the, uh, dealt with the dead with me. Pull back. Let's keep an eye on that for a moment. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return to you with your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that you may become your husbands? Um, a little bit that you need to know uh, about this culture is that someone who is married whose husband dies, uh, their, their worth and value in society plummets. And so Naomi here, uh, she's, had, um, she's had two sons. Uh, she doesn't think she's going to have any more. She has no one who's going to look after her. Uh, in, in tradition, her husband would take care of her. If she didn't have a husband, her sons would take care of her. Without sons, she was going to be destitute for the rest of her life. She knew that she was going to live in abject poverty for the rest of her life. 
And because she is a good woman, a kind woman, she didn't want to drag her two daughters-in-law with her in that situation. She said, I'm going to suffer, but it doesn't mean you have to suffer. You can go off, get new husbands and everything will be fine. Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter, that is important, that word bitter, for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She thinks that the Lord is punishing her for disobeying him, for moving out. She thinks that this is the Lord's retribution and the consequences for her sin. And verse 14, then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So what's, what's just happened? Three women set off from Moab back to, uh, back to Judah. On the way there, they do what? They stop and have a conversation. Now, I, I, there were some, some very interesting facts uh, about this particular book of the Bible. 52% of this book is dialogue. That is incredibly unique in Scripture. Most Scripture stories are about uh, uh, the narration voice telling you something, saying, this is the land of this, this is what happened, this is the king, this is how the king disobeyed. Uh, even in the prophetic books, it's not really dialogue, it's the word of the Lord coming and describing a situation. And so Ruth is 52.4% of dialogue. And, and I think you should appreciate that I narrowed it down to the 52.4%. Thank you. Of 85 verses, 55 of them are dialogue. And the reason, for those that like to read the slides that I have on the screen, the reason that most of this book is dialogue is because the main characters are ladies. They're women. Now, what you need to know, ladies, is that your brains work inherently different than the male brain. The male brain works in a certain way. The female brain works in a completely different way. I'll give you an example. This is a, a, a true story. Uh, it happened between me, my wife, my brother-in-law, and my sister-in-law. Uh, so uh, uh, Nikki is brothers with Nathan. Nathan is married to Mary. Sisters-in-law, brothers-in-law. We're getting in the car. We're saying goodbye. Nikki says to Mary, goodbye. Mary says, goodbye. Oh, by the way, did you know that the kids are doing this thing in school? Nikki says, no, I didn't know that the kids are doing this thing in school. And Mary says, yes, they're doing this. It's on this date and this particular thing. Do you think you'll be able to come over to Spokane and make it? Nikki says, I'm going to have to check with my calendar. I'm not sure if we're going to be available that week. And Mary says, well, if you are, you can come over here. You can stay with our house. You can stay here. Oh, and did you know that also in church on that day we're doing a temple routine? And so you can come and you can look at that temple routine. And Nikki says, no, I didn't know that. Would you be able to, to fix this? Uh, would you be able to come across? Maybe we can make it official. Come across, see the temple routine. We're able to bring it back to uh, Bellingham be able to do stuff and Mary says that's a fantastic idea and even if you can't we'll be able to record it. we'll be able to give you that uh, timber routine you'll be able to come back to Bellingham and you'll be able to uh, teach it to your people there so you'll be able to do the, the routine and Nikki says well, that's fantastic you're going to put it on Facebook Mary says yes we'll put it on Facebook we'll put it both on our Facebook page but I'll also put it onto my wall because that is fantastic and then Nikki says great fantastic I'll see you then and Mary says I don't know I lost track it went on for about another five minutes I'm over here with Nathan and I say to Nathan Goodbye, Nathan. And Nathan says to me, Goodbye, Jonathan. <laughs> male, 
Male brains work differently than women brains. Not wrong, neither is wrong, they work differently. I think we need to be able in our culture to celebrate differences without putting the differencing down. Women talk. And the result of that is that your relationships are usually a hundred times stronger than that of men-to-men relationships. There is a reason that in the Salvation Army, women's ministry has an entire department and men's ministry struggles to get off the ground. I can go out to breakfast with Bill and we can sit there and not talk to each other for an hour and a half. If Nikki and Major Linda go to lunch, they can't go, I would say, about 30 seconds without talking to each other. Is that accurate? And they have a stronger relationship. Too often what we do is we see that these, these two strengths, uh, these two differences rather, uh, are, are weaknesses, but really God made us different and he made us unique and unique is not bad. And so what we're going to see throughout this book of Ruth that is, it is mainly females talking and communicating. And, and, and here's why I think this is important. This is not just a funny line. This isn't just uh, uh, something that, that's, you know, that I'm, I'm trying to make fun of. Too often in the rest of scripture, it's that narrative voice. But I think God uses Ruth in this, this wonderful book to show that there's not just one way of doing things, there's multiple ways of doing things. And sometimes the absolute best thing that you can do is in the middle of a journey is stop and have a conversation with someone. Sometimes we take things for granted. Sometimes we, we don't. We sacrifice the small things for the scope of the big picture. And sometimes that needs to happen. But oftentimes, the small picture is really important because it represents someone's life. So I would encourage you that sometimes, even if you're in the midst of something extremely important, sometimes you need to stop and have a conversation. Men are not going to change. They haven't changed in at least 7,000 years. Women, you're not going to change. You haven't changed for at least 7,000 years. But let's embrace those differences and never, ever underestimate the importance of stopping and having a conversation. Just don't do it when I'm trying to get into the car. That's all I'm saying. Also, I'd like you to pick up on this, that Orpah is going to do what we would consider ordinary. She's going to take care of herself. She still loves her mother-in-law, but she knows that the mother-in-law isn't going to be able to support her, so she's going to go back to her home, move back in with the parents, and she's going to survive. She goes home, and we would consider that uh, ordinary and normal, but Ruth is going to do something extraordinary. Her example here is that she's made a vow to this family and she's going to step into that gap and she's going to, uh, she's going to be with this family and she's going to communicate with this family. I've got to make sure. Okay, good. We read then in verse 15, she says, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods return after your sister-in-law. Uh, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you 
uh, or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Where your people shall be, my people, and your God, my God. For Ruth, this is her moment of conversion up until this point. I don't think she's really known what the faith of Naomi has been about. And so in this point, she finally says, you know what? Your people, my people, your family, my people, uh, your family, my family, your home, my home, your God, my God. You went to this foreign, you know, you came into this foreign land, these gods that I've been following my entire life, and they've never helped me. They've never helped my family. They didn't take care of me. Your God takes care of you. He's returned food to the land that was uh, in famine. Uh, I want to trust that God. I want to know that God. Verse 17, where you die, I will die, and where and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. She's taking a vow here, and this is a serious one. She says, may the Lord uh, punish me if I break this vow. I'm going to stick with you through thick and thin. I'm going to be with you until the very end. And when we die, we're going to die together and we're going to be buried in the same grave. And the Lord help me if that doesn't happen. And Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her. She said, no more. This is something that I think not just ladies can learn. Men can learn this as well. Sometimes you just need to shut up and accept that someone is going to do something kind. See, see we, we live in this society where we've been taught from a very young age that there's no such thing as a free lunch. And uh, you should never trust, uh, you should never look a gift horse in the mouth. mouth That every cloud has a silver lining. All of these platitudes about the way that we should interact with each other. And a lot of the times, a lot of times what we do is when someone tries to, to help us in our most desperate need in our most desperate time what we do is turn away the help and I think we should learn here from Naomi when she saw that she was Ruth was determined to go with her she said no more sometimes the most godly thing you can do is accept that he's going to bless you through other people because here's the truth when other people bless you God blesses them like when, when you're able to do something with no hint of reward in return to someone else, you get this feeling. I don't know if you've ever had it before, but when you do something for someone else and you don't expect something in return and everything goes well, you get this really nice feeling in your stomach. You're like, I was able to help. If I deny you being able to help me, I'm denying you that feeling, and I think that feeling is a blessing from God. Listen to Naomi and what she says. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And this woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi anymore. Naomi means sweet. Call me Mara. And Mara means bitter. I told you the word bitter was going to become important a little bit later on. Naomi here is wanting to change her name from sweet to bitter. She's making a bold statement, saying that no longer is my life sweet. Instead, it is bitter. Because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her and who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. 
And what I want to show you here is the power of the second promise. Every single person in this room has a biological parent. That means at one point, a man and a woman got together, there was a stork involved, and a baby appeared magically. Just saying, I've seen the movie Dumbo, I'm sure that's how it works. Every person biologically has a family. For you, on Father's Day, maybe you didn't have a father who was present in your life. A lot of people do. Maybe you didn't have a mother who was present in your life. A lot of people don't. Maybe for you, you were raised by aunts, uncles, or grandparents. A lot of people are like that. Maybe you had a good family, a strong family, where you had a mother and father who loved each other, but there were still fights on the occasion. They didn't love the Lord, and so they didn't show you what biblical parenting was supposed to look like. And maybe you had a perfect family where both your mother and father loved each other and loved the Lord and made him the center of your life. I think there are people in every walk of life. And that's the first family. But what you need to know is in Christ Jesus, you have been given a second family. See, when you become a Christian, God says that you have been adopted into his family. So for those that believe in Christ, you've been given the right to be called the children of God. Later on in the New Testament, it says that we are co-heirs with Christ to the power and glory of the Father. Everything that Christ will earn in glory, we are co-heirs with and to. That means you've been adopted into the family of God, which means you have a second family. You have a second family. Some of you, if you have kids and you were to be hit by a bus... You wouldn't want your relatives looking after your kids. You would want someone from your church family looking after those kids. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a wrong thing. But what you need to know is that there is power in this second family. Naomi is seeing that family. Scripture tells us that we have this family, that we have a family of birth and we have a family of faith. This is why... I'm not sure if, you, if, if, if this has ever happened. Families have arguments and disagreements, right? I mean, I mean, maybe your family is perfect, and none of you in your family has ever had a disagreement, a falling out, someone's not talking to someone over the turkey dinner, and it's really awkward, right? Maybe you're perfect, and that's never happened to you. That's not the way that my experience has been. Families have fallings out. Families have arguments. I think... What makes it perfect is when we can come together after those arguments and one of us or both of us can say, I was wrong, I said things that I shouldn't have said, I'm sorry. And while that happens in a real family or a biological family, it should happen more in the family of faith. I'm not saying that we should have more arguments in the family of faith. I'm saying when we have those arguments because they come because we're human and we make mistakes, we need to own up and take accountability for that. That family of faith is going to be with you forever, wherever you go. Ruth was left with the decision to decide between her family of birth and the potential family of new birth. She chose to, and she chooses to go with the family of new birth. She chooses to go back to Naomi and says, you know what, there's got to be something to this God thing. Even though you're upset with him, there's got to be something with this God thing. And it leads me to my very last point, is this point of bitterness. A lot of commentaries 
um, study Bibles when you read this, use this. Naomi turns her name to bitterness because the Almighty has dealt harshly with me to attack the character of Naomi. To say, look, you shouldn't get bitter with God. You shouldn't get upset with God. She was in the wrong. And I want to take a different approach with you today. I want to take the approach that God made you human. He made you with actions and reactions. He made you with a certain makeup of your personality. And that bitterness is not always bad. Now, you have to be really careful when you say this. I'm not talking about um, unmanaged bitterness where you're just going to be bitter with the entire world and nothing can ever change it. That's not what I'm talking about. If you're like that, seek help. Legitimately, seek help if you're like that. What I'm talking about is in certain situations, I think it's okay to get angry. In certain situations, it's okay to be upset. When you see injustices in the world, you're supposed to get upset at them. I, I, I... don't like to get political from the pulpit. I try very strenuously not to. But in this last couple of weeks, we've seen that the federal government of the United States are separating children from parents. Now, again, not a political statement. I want to make a moral statement. It's wrong. There are nuances behind it. There are laws that have been broken. There is protection issues. I understand all of that, but that should sit off to the side in the simple fact that morally... It's wrong. We get our morals and our ethics from Scripture. When Christ said, suffer the little children to come unto me, he didn't just say, suffer the children. He said more. Forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. It's okay to get angry over a moral injustice. It's okay to get bitter. What's important, though, is when you get angry, when that bitterness seeps in, that you seek Christian counsel, that you read Scripture, that you pray and communicate that with our Heavenly Father who loves you, and that you seek the counsel of godly people. You have to do it all. It's not a one band-aid over it, and ooh, this is fixed, and now I'm no longer bitter. You need to do it all. You need to pray. God, why are you doing this? You need to talk to others. How can we fix this? How can we get involved? What can we do? You want to know what you can do? Seriously, is write your representative, write your congressman, write your senator, write the governor of the state. You can do stuff. You can. It's the only thing that ever changes anything. Naomi changes her name to bitterness. She says, the Lord has dealt harshly with me. I'm empty. The first step to freedom is not putting up a false wall and pretending that everything is all right when it's not. I believe that the first step to freedom in any situation is admitting where the problem is, admitting that things aren't right. We need to do it with our country. Listen to me very carefully. We need to do it with our church. When things aren't right in the church, we need to speak up. We need to speak to one another. We need to act like a family and talk to one another. Amen? So, I know I said that this was a love story. That'll be next week. Because I believe that there is nothing 
nothing so great in the art of presentation than building up an audience to a certain point and then leaving them hanging for a week. Because listen to me, sometimes we need to dwell in those uncomfortable moments. Everything's not perfect. Jesus died on the cross on a Friday. He had the power and the authority to come instantaneously back to life. If he didn't, he waited three days. Because sometimes there needs to be tension in the waiting period. And I want each one of us to reflect on the things maybe that we're bitter about. The things that we feel that the Lord has dealt unjustly or harshly in our own lives. I want you to bring those before the Lord. I want you to take a week before we get to the fun, lighthearted story of Ruth to understand that there is bitterness in this world. There is anger in this world. And if you hold those inside of you, you will turn bitter and sour. You'll no longer be Naomi. You'll no longer be sweet. And the only way we get there is through the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time that you've given us to come into your presence, to open your word, and to learn more about your servants, Naomi and Ruth. I pray, Lord God, that you be with each one of us, that, Lord, where there is bitterness in our hearts, where there is anger in our hearts, that you take that from us and give us rest and peace, that you show us that your grace and mercy and love and justice flows from you. Lord, we don't expect our lives to be perfect. We don't expect this world to be perfect. But Lord, I believe that you have given us arms and legs to do something when we see injustice. I pray that you be with each one of us, Lord, until we meet together again. And we pray this in your son's precious name. In the name of Jesus. Amen.